In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Christ is in our midst. A bit of fear strikes a man when he's visiting as a priest, and the head priest turns and says, you're giving the homily today, right? <laughs> it's, um, we tease sometimes. Although it has happened, you are giving the homily today. Oh, well, okay. May God's strength be made perfect in weakness. But it's good to have Father Anastasios, Huria, Nisreen, and Prokopios, and Theodoros here with us today from our sister parish in Seattle, Our Lady of Sednea um, Orthodox Mission. Beloved in Christ, the Lord said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This we heard in today's Gospel reading. And St. Ignatius Briantianinov comments on this, saying, What does the cross signify? Why is it that his cross, that is a separate one for each person, is called the cross of Christ? My cross is the sorrows and sufferings of this earthly life, unique for each individual person. My cross is fasting keeping vigil and other pious ascetic labors through which the body is humbled and submits to the spirit. These labors must be appropriate to the strength of each individual person. And so each person has his own cross. My cross is the disease of sin or passions, which also differ in each individual person. Some of them are already present at birth, Others infect us during our earthly life. The cross of Christ is the teaching of Christ. Filled with worry and futility is my cross, no matter how heavy it may be. If it does not become the cross of Christ through or following his footsteps. My cross becomes the cross of Christ if I am a disciple of Christ. Because a disciple of Christ is firmly convinced that Christ watches over him at all times that Christ allows his sorrows as the inescapable and inevitable condition of Christianity, and that no sorrow would ever approach him if it were not allowed by Christ, and that through sorrows the Christian becomes one with Christ, becomes a partaker of his lot on earth, and later in heaven. My cross will become the cross of Christ because a true disciple of Christ considers the fulfillment of Christ's commandments as the only purpose of his life. These all holy commandments become for him a cross on which he constantly crucifies his old man with his passions and lusts. It is clear that before taking up the cross, one must first deny himself even unto the mortification of one's own soul. Beloved in Christ, the cross that we need to learn to bear is one of weakness and of foolishness in the eyes of the world. One that causes the ego to twitch and to recoil. One that constantly causes us to want to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, 
in self-justification. That's the cross that we need to learn how to bear. Today I propose that the cross that each and every one of us needs to learn to take up is that of humility. Humility. If not humility first, then any of the so-called crosses that we bear will never become the cross of Christ. But they will be ones that will yield cheap and worldly rewards, even for the most religious people, making us proud of ourselves, of ourselves, rather than boasting in the cross of Christ, as we heard in last week's epistle reading. While pride seeks the opportunity to take credit, even for success in suffering, humility seeks to give credit to others, to give credit and especially, ultimately, to God in the midst of joy and in sorrow, constantly saying, thank God and glory to God for all things. That's the aim of humility and not of pride. And even these words, thank God and glory to God, are spoken quietly without seeking to draw attention, at least at first while the person is still tempted to pride. Even our gratitude to God must be done discreetly when we're seeking to be humble. And then when the muscle of pride is atrophied and boldness is born from human weakness and strength found in faith, then the proclamation might become a little more bold and a little more sincere. Among the principal ways of destroying the ego and becoming humble in a way that only God can see and understand, is by remaining silent when accused. Remaining silent when accused, especially of those little, small, and inconsequential things which prick the ego and ensnare the pride. There are several figures of speech that have become a part of our common parlance that I think we should be on the lookout for. And we should even try to strike them from our personal lexicon, such as, you may be familiar with some of these. It's not my fault. Or, I'm not the one who did that. Or even more subtle, who did this? In that accusational, accusatory kind of way, deftly implying that it was someone other than me. You walk in. Who did this? It's all about immediately absolving oneself of any blame or association for any fault in any situation. In recent days, I've been reading the life of St. Ambrose of Optina, who lived in the 19th century in Russia, and he was really a paragon of simplicity and humility. He was a spiritual father, and he received many visitors in person, And he corresponded with many in writing, and he knew much about humility because he dealt with chronic illness throughout his life. He often received visitors while lying in his small bed because he was dealing with infirmity. And therefore he could speak with authority when saying things like this from one of his letters. He's written, You always ask that the Lord would grant you humility. I would say, be careful what you ask for. 
You always ask that the Lord would grant you humility, but you see, humility is not given as a gift from the Lord. The Lord is always ready to help people acquire humility, as well as all good things. But it is necessary that the person work on himself. As the Holy Fathers say, give blood and receive spirit. This means labor to the spilling of blood. And even when you, even then, and then you will receive gifts. But you are stingy about spilling your blood. That is, you do not want anyone to touch you or disturb you. How can you obtain humility in an undisturbed life? For humility consists in seeing yourself as worse than all. Not only worse than people, but even irrational beasts and even even evil spirits themselves. When people bother you and you see that you cannot endure it and get angry with them, then you will have to consider yourself bad, mistaken, fallen. If at this you lament and reproach yourself for your badness and incorrigibility, and sincerely repent about it before God and your spiritual father, then you are on the path to humility. And from his life, the life of St. Ambrose of Optina, comes the following story about the experience of a nun in a monastery to which he was the spiritual father. And it's an example confirming how sweet and salvific the path of humility is. And when we read about monastics, I want to mention, when we read about the lives of monastics, we we can easily write off the example and say, well, I don't live in a monastery. But the path to salvation is one and the same, whether you're a lay person in the world or a monastic, the, the pursuit is of the same Christ, And there are some common experiences. They live in community in a monastery. We live in a community. We may not be together 24-7 like they are, but still we interact with each other a lot. A lot. And our lives affect one another. And in fact, if we take our life in Christ and in this community seriously, the reality of our life together in this holy community, it's not something we can just take up and put down. Like we, like we easily do when we compartmentalize our life. So I find, I find in monasticism what might be sometimes an extreme example, like you wouldn't be disciplined by having to do public prostrations in front of everyone like they might, you know, to teach someone a lesson. But we, we experience the life in Christ in community in a way similar, similar but different. So the story goes... One sister in Shamordino Monastery was subjected to a severe rebuke from the superior for an involuntary disobedience, an accident, something that wasn't her fault, for which she was blamed. The sister could not have acted in any other way and wanted to explain this. It's that, yeah, but it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. But the wrathful superior did not want to hear it. And she threatened her with public prostrations right then and there. It was painful and grievous to the sister. But seeing that she must not justify herself, she stifled her self-love and was silent, 
only asking for forgiveness. When she returned to her cell, this sister noticed to her great amazement that although she had endured this undeserved accusation, her soul, rather than being embarrassed and disturbed, felt light, consoled, and good, as if she had received something joyous. In the evening of the same day, she told Father Ambrose about all that had happened. The elder, Ambrose, said, This incident was providential. Remember it. The Lord wanted to show you how sweet the fruit of humility is, so that having perceived it, you would always force yourself to be humble, at first outwardly, and then also inwardly. When a person forces himself to be humble, the Lord consoles him inwardly. And this is the grace of God that is granted to the humble. Self-justification only seems to ease the pain, seems to, but it actually brings darkness and disturbance to the soul. You've all been caught in that moment where you've been falsely accused, either directly or indirectly, and you have that, yeah, but it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. Why did they blame me? And then when you try to explain it to them, and they act as if it doesn't matter, you can't let it go. You carry that frustration with you all the way back to yourself, your bedroom, your prayer corner. And you can't pray with lightness because the problem is at the beginning of trying to justify yourself in the face even of false accusation. Makes me wonder how many providential and God-given opportunities for sanctification that I've outrightly opposed by way of pride and self-justification. Every time someone accuses me of something, rightly or incorrectly, it's an opportunity for humility, for Christ-like humility. I'm not saying that there aren't times when you do need to stand up and speak the truth. That's absolutely true. But I'm also I'm talking about those times where the, the pride is wounded, the ego is provoked, and we need to just say, you know what? It doesn't really matter. God truly knows. God knows what happened. God knows, and He knows that I'm fallen, and He knows what I need that's under my salvation, under the healing of my false pride and immodesty. So the question is then, if we avoid self-justification, how are we justified? How are we? And we just heard the answer in today's epistle reading. We are only justified by faith in Christ. And it's Christ by whom alone all flesh can be justified. And the only way to receive this justification is not by constant self-defense, but by being crucified with Christ. And this not unto death, but that we can say with the apostle, not of our own strength. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we should hear what's being said today. The most precious life-saving message is conveyed to us in both of the scripture readings. 
These words are given to us as a kind of food, but even better than food. Man does not live on bread alone, but will we be, will we be nourished by them? Will we receive the nourishment that's being given to us? We need such nourishment. And we're talking about the cross today, of course, because today is the Sunday after the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. We celebrated the, the Feast of the Elevation or Exaltation, the lifting up of the precious and life-giving cross on Monday evening. And we've been in the after-feast singing hymns in memory of what Christ accomplished on that shameful and now glorious wood of the cross that has been the means to our life. And so the theme of the cross is emphasized in today's reading, and we're told, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels, he will save it. So today, beloved in Christ, Those whom our beautiful Savior loves so much, each and every one of you. I want to encourage you to take up your cross and whatever crosses you may have to bear in this God-given life and follow Him. But remember, it must all begin with humility. With humility. And if you allow yourself to be humbled, you'll begin to understand the mystery of which Christ speaks when He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You won't be burdened by those false accusations and provocations of the ego anymore. Humility frees one of the impulse to self-justification and allows all things to fall subject to the judgment of Christ. I'm reminded of some words attributed to the modern Romanian elder Arseni Boca, This is one you can probably remember. He said, the more one tries to take away from his cross, the more he adds to it. The more one tries to take away from his cross, the more he adds to it. So beloved in Christ, let's not try to take away from our crosses that which God has given us unto salvation and unto increase in love for him and our neighbor. And especially... Especially do not try to add to the crosses of others in order to detract or lighten the load of your own. I think we do that all the time. We try to add to the burden of other people in order to lighten our own loads. Beloved, that's a a shameful sin that we do. It's an easy temptation to give in to, but we cannot try to take away from our own cross because... In doing so, we only add to it. What a great lie that we often give into in such subtle ways. If I learn to effectively burden others, my burden will be lighter. But we know that the highest calling is to bear our crosses uniquely, as allowed by God, and to bear one another's burdens, therefore fulfilling the law of Christ. So our prayer today is that the Lord may bless us to begin again right now and to tread the path of humility, taking up our crosses and following Him, that it may no longer be I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our beautiful and perfect Savior loves us, and He wants to lead us more deeply into His love. 
And so for us today, this begins with a call to humility. And I'm like a little, like a little tiny voice crying out in the wilderness. This is the way. This is the way, my dear ones. This is the most precious path to freedom, that of humility. So may God grant us the courage, the courage to trust him, to be humble, and to unlock this great mystery that begins with humility and ends with an entry into the endless abyss of God's perfect love. To the glory of his name. Amen.